The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Big Six Podcast, CBS Sports Daily NFL Podcast. I'm Will Brinson. I'm your host. We're counting down the days until we get to South Florida for Super Bowl LIV. Today is a Wednesday. That means we recorded this on a Tuesday. That means it's a Brady Quinn football show. Now with more John Breach. John Breach, what's up, buddy? <laughs> and Breach dressed up for it. I know, I love it. Uh, Breach is going to be appearing on Sportsline after this, which you can watch on CBS Sports HQ every single night. We will have, you're going to want to bet on the Super Bowl. You're going to do it. You know, you're going to. You should. Yeah. You're going to. You're going to bet on props. You're going to bet on the first quarter. You're going to have squares. You're going to bet on total touchdown passes. You're going to bet the over under. You're going to bet the point spread. And to get everything you need to know, you should go watch Sportsline every single night on CBS Sports HQ from 6 to 7 p.m. Breach will be doling out information, or he doled out information on Tuesday. I'll be on tonight if you're listening to the pod. If you watch the pod, hey, by the way, podcast is up on YouTube, youtube.com slash CBS Sports. You can watch us and all our handsomeness. Right. Quick question to Breach, uh, and maybe Will, maybe you'll know this too. National Anthem. Do you guys give out betting advice on the National Anthem? Because that's always a fan favorite for prop bets. Yes. We do, but it, it it's a dicey one, you know, cuz you have uh the singer, the singer can pick how long it goes. I would if I was singing the national anthem, I would definitely be placing multiple bets on whether it goes short or long. I always think how you coordinate with the flyover, right? Cuz that's always got to be part of it, and I I want to hear I, I want to see if there's like someone in their ear trying to synchronize it. So Every year I feel like the over's a safe bet, but historically I haven't looked at the actual numbers there. Uh, the over's the bet. You always bet the over. The singers don't want to rush through it and look like idiots. They want to hold the true. notes. They want to celebrate America. It's the biggest stage possible. They're always going to improvise a little bit, so you got to always take the over. Do not take the under. I like it. My personal take. But good. you get a little nervous, Brinson. You get a little nervous. You start to speed up a little bit. You start to talk faster. All of a sudden, the words are coming out faster. And all of a sudden, you sound like the market machine guy. And all of a sudden, you go under. I was thinking, New Zealand. It's usually set at, what, like a minute, 50 seconds? Is, is that or like two minutes, yeah, something two like that? Minutes. Yeah, two, two minutes. minutes? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This one's like, yeah. Um, and you can, all, I mean, look, if I, you, know, you can't tell, like if, you know, if you, and by the way, nobody, like the singer, whoever's singing the national anthem is already wealthy because they're famous, but so they're not betting like a hundred dollar prop bet on the over under. <laughs> It'd be hilarious if they were, they're like, 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 and by, and it's like, and the rockets, uh-huh. <laughs> just like holding every note, like, I hey, just going to make sure we get this over. Like checking their watch in the middle of it. Um, we're going to do a mailbag. On Monday, if you want your question answered by the Super Friends, go ahead and hit the head of Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star review, leave a rating. We will answer those questions. Other podcasts in the feed include a exclusive interview with Raheem Mostert. 
the star of the NFC Championship game. He definitely didn't talk to anyone else currently on this podcast on Tuesday. Just me. <laughs> Inside <laughs> joke there. Inside yeah. joke. Well, Brady, you do a radio show on Sirius yeah. XM. Can uh, we talk um, about what an amazing story he is real quick for like 30 yeah, seconds? Absolutely. Like, so he is kind of like the dream, I think, for the majority of, of NFL players. But like most people don't see that story because most of them don't entail his performance in the NFC Championship game, having, what, 220 yards and four touchdowns to then vault them into the Super Bowl. Like, that just doesn't happen. And and usually by the time you're cut by six teams, you can't mentally take it. Or you think that there's something physically wrong and you just move on in life. I mean, the average career spent for an NFL player is less than three years. And so think about this. Like, over the course of his time leaving Purdue, where I want to say in his best season at Purdue, he had like over 500 yards his last year, their senior year, rushing. He's almost accumulated that just in the playoffs alone. But if you think about the perseverance that it takes and just how tough you have to be mentally to be able to make it through all of that and keep hoping that it was going to be eventually this was going to happen and like stay ready for that opportunity. It's just an incredible story. It's, it's like one for all the young kids out there, but it's also one for like, I think everyone can relate to because he believed in himself even when so many other people didn't. And when that opportunity came, he didn't have to get ready. Like he stayed ready and he obviously sees the opportunity. So I just, I love it. I love like the, 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 the young man that he is and like how he represents himself and just tells that story and the motivation. But it's just, it's one of the cool aspects, one of the coolest stories, which there's so many in this particular Super Bowl and we get them every year, but this is like one of the unique ones as we head into the, you know, two weeks ahead of it that we get to talk about. He, uh, Raheem Mostert, by the way, you're spot on Brady, 93 carries, 529 yards, his final year at Purdue. He had 29 carries, 200 yards in the, in the NFC Championship game. It's incredible. And to really quickly add on to what Brady just said, it's not like he just got cut by any six teams. He got cut by the New York Jets. He got cut by the Miami Dolphins, the Cleveland Browns. Those are the types of teams where if you don't make it with them, you're kind of thinking, man, my career is over. These are three bad teams, uh, maybe teams that aren't as talented as other teams out there. And, and as Brady said, kept persevering. All of a sudden, not only does he end up with 49ers, but he ends up in Kyle Shanahan's system, which is perfect for a running back like him. You know, guys like him can't thrive in every offensive system, and Shanahan plus him, match made in heaven. Hey, Breach, there's a counter to that. Maybe there's a reason why the Browns, the Bengals, the Jets are kind of what they are because they, they don't they don't see these types of guys working within their system or they don't put them in positions to succeed. I'm just throwing that out there. I, I think that, like, every team he was cut by, like, except the Ravens, has fired their coach or been terrible over, like, like ever since they cut him. Maybe they should have figured it out. Although it took the 49ers a couple years to figure it out, too. So, I mean... Maybe he's just a late bloomer. Four years at Purdue before he really blossomed. Yeah, well, I think one of the things you knew about him coming out from Purdue was he, he, he was track trained. He had elite speed. He was a returner back then. And that's the one thing, like, as I'm preparing for the XFL right now, I'm starting to break down some of the film, looking at some of these teams. And one of the things that you notice, like watching the one-on-ones between wide receivers and defensive backs, it's really hard for the wide receivers to separate in their one-on-one drills. And reason being is, all the fast guys, they're playing in the NFL or there's someone in their practice squad. Maybe they can't catch quite as well. They're not a great route runner, uh, but usually they have elite speed and that helps them separate. That's one of the reasons why they're playing in the NFL, not potentially the XFL. Wow. You know what is crazy? I just, I, I are you, are you calling the XFL or are you just prepared? I will. I'll start calling them in, uh, in, in, in March. 
Oh, that's awesome. Well, great. Yeah. Then we can turn this into the Brady Quinn football show. I, I was like, fear, I was like, is Brady playing in the XFL? Is he calling gay? Like, what the hell is happening here? No, so I Google no. Brady Quinn, Brady Quinn XFL. Oddly enough, and I don't know why this popped up, but when you retired, Brady, when you left and went to Fox Sports out of football, do you know who wrote the story for CBS Sports? Will Brinson. John Breach. John Breach? Yeah, wow. I know. I clicked on it. I was like, wow, that's, I didn't expect it. I was like, I wonder who wrote this. It could have been me. Nope. It was, uh, and he said, uh, there's a picture of you. He says, the caption is, look at this handsome fellow leaving football. What a great caption, Breach. Um, yeah. Hey, we're just two Ohio guys. We go way back. That is true. Right. And we, and we um, both have a strong affinity for Britney Spears. Very strong. Very strong. Like some like serious, like I think I was in junior high when like, what was her, what was her first single? It was, uh, Ooh, baby, baby. Baby hit me one more time. Baby hit me one more time. The, the school girl outfit. My gosh. That Halloween, it was like every girl's <laughs> outfit that year. And they could have been in high school, college, maybe even like a 30, 40 year old. They were all wearing that same outfit in Halloween <laughs> that year. It's a good point. Yeah. I think, what was it? 99? Was it 99 when that came out? Oh. Man. Is that right? Might Breach? have been a year or two earlier. Brinson's like, we invite Breach to the show, and all of a sudden it turns into the Britney Spears podcast. What's going on? You're never coming back, Breach. Uh, we we believe, do this all the time. Uh, 98, released October 23rd, 1998. So, yeah, I mean, like, I was a junior in high school. I mean, it was it was the thing. It was, it was, very, uh, it was very popular amongst the high school, middle school Male population. Male crowd. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yes. Oh yeah. Um, Brittany, she's the real MVP. But let's talk about potential Super Bowl MVPs. Best thing I got. The best segue I got from there. Sorry. <laughs> Actually, you know who would date? You know who would date Britney Spears if she was like in her prime right now? Jimmy Garoppolo. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's a great that. segue. Like, yeah. Thank you. That one was great. <clears throat> Either uh, prime, because I would say some of what we've seen so far, maybe like a single Ooh. version of Brittany now might make some sense. <laughs> uh, guys, if if Kevin Federline got Brittany in her prime, I think Garoppolo could do it. That's what. Well, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Like in her prime or not, like either way. Like he, I'm just saying based on what's publicly been out there. Like I love Jimmy G. He's a good guy, um, but he, he's tended to wander out there and to some, um, you know. Let's just let's just call them different stars, not necessarily a pop star. <laughs> yeah. Um, he is uh, 28 and just still dating adult film stars. <laughs> hey, mom, dad, how's it going? <laughs> Guess who I brought home for Thanksgiving? Yep. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes yeah, but... the education doesn't stop. Uh, you know, yeah. after college, right? Sometimes you still need to be educated in a more worldly sense. That's right. Um. So anyway, Jimmy G. Of course it went this way. Jimmy G, the number two favorite to win the Super Bowl MVP. Of course, Patrick Mahomes, the top favorite at FanDuel. These odds were released on January 20th, the initial release. Mahomes is plus 100, which is basically even money. Jimmy Garoppolo, as you can see on your screen, if you're watching again on YouTube, uh, we'll run through the top options here uh, for the audio listeners. Jimmy G, plus 240. Raheem Mostert, 7.5 to 1. George Kittle, 17 to 1. Travis Kelsey, 18 to 1. Debo Samuel, 20 to 1. Tyreek Hill, 28 to 1. Damian Williams, 29 to 1. Manny Sanders, 34. Sammy Watkins, 34. Nick Bosa, 41. And Tevin Coleman, 45. So I would ask you guys, 
do you see breach a good value on this board and or is there anyone you'd be interested in maybe dabbling in for Super Bowl MVP if you're sort of looking at it, you know, in the early goings here? Uh, my early going dabble along with my value pick would either be Tyree Kill or Travis Kelsey. Yes, I know the 49ers had the best pass defense in the NFL this year. But if you look at, they've had two games where they played the top two receivers in the league. They played Michael Thomas. They played Julio Jones. Both those guys torched them. Uh, I think they both actually finished with 134 yards exactly. Both had double-digit receptions. So the 49ers had some trouble stopping those big studs. Travis Kelsey, fourth most yards in the NFL. Julio Jones and Michael Thomas were one and two. And you throw in Tyree Kill. So you kind of have to pick your poison. I think at least one of those guys will have a big day. And if you take one at MVP, I feel like you have pretty good value there. And we saw a wide receiver win MVP last year. Uh, so it is not crazy to think that someone who catches the football will win MVP at Super Bowl 54. I think an interesting one is Tevin Coleman because with the dislocated shoulder, we, we kind of assume or think that he's going to be coming back banged up and he's not going to be a hundred percent. So that doesn't mean he can't win it, but it is a dislocated shoulder. That is something that you could put into a brace. You can kind of put into like a little shoulder harness and you could shoot up to take away some of that pain. So you, you've got the stability with the brace. You're shooting up to take away the pain, uh, to play in the Super Bowl. He very easily could step in considering the running back by committee with San Francisco and he could do a good job based on how he proves himself throughout the course of the next couple of weeks in practice. Uh, and he could be a guy based on the value that ends up sneaking up. If the 49ers can run the football the way I think they, you know, that they could looking at this Chiefs rush defense. So he's kind of a sneaky good one. I think if you're really looking for like a comp to me, at least looking back to other Super Bowls that were a similar matchup between the two teams, like I, I kind of look at this matchup and think it's similar to remember that prolific Broncos offense back in with the 2013 season and the 2014. Uh, versus the Seattle Seahawks, a mostly defensive-led front and team that could run the football, and then you had a quarterback who could make some plays, took care of the football and Russell Wilson. I kind of liken them to the San Francisco 49ers. And if I'm not mistaken, wasn't it Malcolm Smith who ended up being Super Bowl MVP of that particular game? That leads me to think like maybe Nick Bosa could end up being someone who, yeah, he's going to receive a lot of focus and attention, but because of how talented this defensive front is, it's not like the Chiefs can provide that much help for, for Bosa's side because of Buckner and Armstead and D Ford and when Solomon Thomas comes in and all the other pieces that they have up front. And so I think because of that, like maybe even Nick Bosa could be a sneaky good play if he has a couple of sacks, a sack fumble, a fumble recovery, or maybe in a sack fumble he returns for a touchdown, something of, of, of that, you know, nature. Maybe it ends up being a, a kind of a, a, like a sneaky good value play here if you're looking like way down the list. Uh, just to kind of touch on those picks, and I think that you guys all made great points and I would have made very similar points. Uh, one on Nick Bosa, I love the idea of Bosa. He should not be 40 to one or more because if Jimmy G, like if the 49ers win with defense and they slow down Patrick Mahomes and they win that game with defense, obviously you're going to go with the defensive player as your MVP. And if you do that, you're going to need, like the reason Malcolm Smith won it wasn't because he was the best defender out there. It's because he had the best stats on the defense that dominated Peyton Manning. So to me, Nick Bosa is the guy who can get the sacks, get the pressures, the force fumbles, maybe, you know, a scoop score, something like that. If they win the game and he has a great, uh, a great performance on a big stage with numbers, I think he can win. Like for that reason, I don't like 
Richard Sherman as a, as a potential pick because I don't think that they'll throw at Richard Sherman. So even if he shuts down half the field, I don't think he's going to be, you know, getting the stats that he would win. He's like 75 to one or something like that. I don't mind the Tyreek Hill, uh, Travis Kelsey ideas that, that Breach mentioned. The problem is I think if Kelsey or Hill go off, Mahomes is probably going to get it because of how well he's played. He's already been the MVP before. Like it would take Tyreek Hill with a long end around or a punt return or, or something like that to win, in my opinion. Um, and then the one, the one other point I would make too is that the Tevin Coleman call, love it. If he, like, Mostert's the guy, um, you know, and he gets 29 carries again, then, then he'll, he'll take it. If not, uh, and Coleman is able to play and he gets most of the carries, Kyle Shannon rides a hot hand, 45 to one. That's ridiculous for him. So I have no problem with any of those picks that you guys made. I like him. Great call. You know, last thing um, I'll just say on the, on the Coleman yeah. point. So Matt Breda, if you actually look at the end of the season, he kind of suffered a number of times. He's fun with the football. Uh, I can't remember what week, but he had a couple fumbles, even though they only lost one maybe five or six weeks ago. He's fumbled before that. Kind of been in the doghouse since then uh, and riding as that third string running back. So I think that also makes more of a case for Coleman. Now, if he is healthy enough and he demonstrates that he's healthy enough throughout the course of practice, um, that he would potentially play and potentially fill in in a big-time role if they are running the football well. Yeah, and with uh, Coleman, too, it's worth noting our, our boy Raheem left um, the game against uh, the Vikings, I think, with with uh, calf cramps. So, like, I mean, if if Breida's in the dog, I mean, Breida's not a bad flyer either. He's probably like 150 to 1. I mean, yeah. it wouldn't be surprising if, if Mostert cramped up, Coleman couldn't play, and they're just like, all right, we got to lean on Breida, and he has a huge game in that running attack. little sprinkle, a little, little sprinkle on Breida maybe. A little sprinkle. A little sprinkle. A little sprinkle. I like it. 100 to 1 per Devo. Um, so, yeah, definitely sprinkle on that one. Nothing wrong with that. Coaching in this game is going to matter. What matters more to you, Brady? What Kyle um, Shanahan learned? Oh, I was here. Go ahead. Just, no, no. Kyle I Shanahan think or Andy Reid? Yeah, no, I think it's a good question. Um, if you look at what Kyle Shanahan you know, has, has learned from their, their Super Bowl loss, to the New England Patriots back when he was a coordinator for the Falcons. Uh, granted, it's, it's, it's been a number of years now, what, three years removed from that, that time. But I think what you've seen over that period of time is he's really reinforced, I think, a commitment to the run. And you don't have to look any further than last week, only eight pass attempts, because why get away from something that's working? Especially if you're executing it extremely well, you know, keep hammering those mismatches or those light edges like they had in Zadarius Smith and Preston Smith. And being able to find unique ways of getting getting to the edges, whether it's different angles, and it could be the the different gap scheme runs when you pull an offensive lineman and you're, and you're able to kick out and then lead through with use check, um, or you know whether it's different isos or outside zones, whatever the case may be. I think he's really reinforced the commitment to the run, and that has been a learning experience for him. So uh, that's one thing in this matchup that I don't think he's going to get away from or be scared of just because of this high-powered offense from the Chiefs, knowing what I think his defense is capable of doing, and the fact that the Chiefs really can't run the football that well. So uh, I think there's going to be some opportunities for them to kind of hang around this game. On the flip side, though, with Andy Reid, um, I just I kind of wonder, since it's kind of been so far removed since the last time he was in a Super Bowl, like how, how applicable that is, even is to this matchup. Like I think I'm more uh, curious to see how Steve Spagnola comes up with a defensive game plan for the 49ers rush offense. Like, I think I've got more questions about how the Chiefs are going to approach this matchup because of the personnel issues they're going to have on offense with that defensive front. And then how Spagnola looks at this offense for the 49ers and says, 
what can I take away? How can I take away? Because we can we can look at them and say, well, they'll just load the box to stop the run, and 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 that's how they're going to win. Because if they stop the run, Jimmy G can't win this game. But I actually would make a case that Kittle, Sanders, and Debo Samuel are really good matches for a secondary, with the exception of Tyron Matthew, I think is a good player, a versatile player in that defense. I think they're going to have a hard time matching up. I think they, they could have used a guy like Juan Thornhill, who's no longer going to be able to be a part of this team and be in this game in the secondary for the Chiefs. So, uh, I, I think it's, it's interesting looking at like the most, you know, recent times that each of these head coaches have been in the Super Bowl. Like, I'm just not really sure how much they're going to be able to apply from those lessons outside of Shanahan running the football more and committing to the run. Yeah, I think that, uh, yeah, I was just going to say that, look, I think the advantage for the Chiefs is that they, just play the Titans. Now, the Titans obviously are not running the same offense as the 49ers, but it's a run-heavy team who goes to the pass when they have to. And so, yeah, Kansas City fell behind 17-7 real quickly. Uh, that was ugly for them. But then eventually they adjusted. They took over the game. And if they did do something, as Brady suggested, where you have, hey, let's stack the box, make Jimmy Garoppolo beat us. Yeah, the 49ers do have weapons. Uh, but if Jimmy Garoppolo can't make those contested throws, this is a big stage. We have seen a lot of quarterbacks choke in the Super Bowl. This is not an easy place to play. It's not an easy game to play in. And so you're putting the pressure on Jimmy Garoppolo. Maybe his receivers are getting open. Maybe they are getting a step on those Chiefs defenders. But Garoppolo still has to make those throws. And although we've seen him do that at certain times this season, there are times where he's looked like a not-so-great quarterback. Uh, so I do think that putting the game on Jimmy, if you're the Chiefs defense coordinator, that is not a crazy idea. And one thing I'll say about Kyle Shanahan is that the last time we saw him in the Super Bowl, I know we all love to talk about the fact that the Falcons somehow blew a 28-3 to lead. But, hey, this guy... He's the offensive coordinator for the Falcons. He had to draw up a game plan to go up against arguably the greatest defense of mine in NFL history, Bill Belichick. And his game plan was so good that the Falcons went up 28-3. to So if there is a coach I trust to come up with a game plan over the course of two weeks, it is absolutely Kyle Shanahan. So I don't think he's going to be run heavy. I don't think he's going to be pass heavy. I think he's going to mix things up. Uh, and I think the Chiefs are going to have a tough time stopping what the 49ers do. Yeah, I mean, I think – it's easy to get caught up in the Andy Reid off the buy stuff. And I'm, I mean, I, Andy Reid's awesome off the buy with extra time to prepare. He, I mean, he's one of the, I think he's one of the five greatest NFL coaches of all time, but he probably needs to get a wow. Super Bowl. So, so is that, is I, that, I promised I wasn't going to mention Andy Reid off the buy. <laughs> hey, five greatest of all time. Isn't he, I think he's up there, right? I he mean, I, I don't Bowl. know. I, I'd put Belichick. I'd put, I mean, you know, I put Bill Walsh, who's not even on this list, um, over yeah. him. I mean, those two for sure, just off the top of my head. I have to go kind of think back through. Um, it's interesting when you look at this track record of success in Philly and then obviously what he's done once he got to, to Kansas City. I guess the tough thing is in comparison when looking at it, and again, I mean, we've got Curly Lambeau, Paul Brown on this list. We're, we're kind of getting back there as far as dating ourselves, but. I mean, even some of the more recent ones, when you mentioned Bill Walsh, when you talk about, you know, Belichick, who is on this list, it comes down to championships. And, and he's, you know, close to some of those guys and wins, but he's, you know, way far behind in that regard, not having won one yet. Yeah. I would maybe let me rephrase that. I think if Andy Reid can win a Super Bowl, then, then you can make the case for him as a, one of the five greatest head coaches of all time. Probably right now, though, in the top 10, like, so it's, you know, like, would you, Mike, you have to give it to Mike Shanahan over Andy Reid because of the two Super Bowls. Jimmy Johnson over over Andy Reid. I mean, how how would you weigh that out in terms of coaching? I think the interesting thing is if you look at the coaching tree, like the impact it's had 
on on coaches who have coached underneath, right? Um, and and great, and Mike Shanahan's tree uh, is probably a little bit younger when you look at the likes of a Sean McVay or a son Kyle Shanahan um, or, or or even a Matt Lafleur who falls under that. Um, and and we can look at you know Doug Peterson for example, who's won one uh, with Philly from from Andy Reid, but. It's kind of interesting too to kind of look at like how great a coach is probably speaks a little bit to how great to the coaches that coached for him and what they end up doing underneath him. So I'd probably have to look through that a little bit more, but I'm not trying to downplay any reading the success that he's had. He's a tremendous coach. I wish I would have had the you know, chance to play for him as a, as a former player. I just think it, when we were started talking about the greatest of all time, uh, you know, right now, I think it's, it's tough to put him in that conversation outside of using his win loss percentage, um, and, and the amount of times he's been to the playoffs. I don't necessarily know it. It fits quite as much with some of the guys who've really won championships. Yeah, but I don't think you're completely crazy, Brinson. I'll just say that. I think top 10 is fair, and if he wins a Super Bowl, maybe you make the top seven argument. Because, look, you look at guys, Don Shula had Dan Marino for more than a decade, and they only made it to one Super Bowl together. They didn't even win a Super Bowl. Marino was arguably you know, the greatest quarterback, the greatest passing quarterback of that era. So there are coaches who didn't win uh, with big quarterbacks. And Brady mentioned Bill Walsh, but you also look at before 1993 where the coaches, there was no salary cap. So the guys that you had on your team were locked to your team. Bill Walsh knew he wasn't going to lose Joe Montana. Uh, you know, Don Chula knew he wasn't going to be losing Dan Marino. Whereas now there's a little bit more that goes into it because you have to figure out a way to keep all your best players, which isn't something coaches necessarily had to worry about, uh, before the salary cap era. Can you make your team better quicker though using that same logic? But you lose your best players quicker, and it's hard to replace. Well, yeah, but I'm saying it works both talent. ways. It works both ways. Yeah, I would I would say that it's harder to win in the salary cap era than it was before. But I, you're not wrong. Like you can make you can take a bad team and make it good faster than you could uh, back in the '70s. But yeah, I mean, like, look, I mean, it's hard to compare eras when it comes to quarterbacks and, and coaches too. I mean. You're talking about, you know, when you look at what Don Shula had and Chuck Knoll and Tom Landry and these guys, I think to me, Belichick, and this, by the way, is an emergency top 10, top five coaches of all time podcast that we're currently doing. Um, but, uh, uh, I would have, I think Bill Walsh and Bill Belichick are on a whole separate tier for me from just everybody else. And I, I mean, I, I think, I think the way, I, I think Andy Reid is in that mix, but he does have to win the Super Bowl to, to validate it. Like just, in the same way that Dan Marino, nobody would ever say Dan Marino is the greatest quarterback of all time, even if he might have been the most talented quarterback of all time, because he didn't win a Super Bowl. It's just the argument is almost a borderline non-starter. Like I think most people, if they were picking a, a you know, you pluck a guy in their prime and he starts for starts for your team, like aren't most people taking Dan Marino over John Elway, even though Elway has two Super Bowls and Marino has zero? Right. I mean, and that's what, are we just going to come down to championships and winning percentage that we're going to look at it? Or like I was kind of t- touching on before is like, what is their legacy? You know, who are the guys who coached underneath him who went on to win? Um, and when you talked about Belichick and, and Bill Walsh, and those are the first that kind of come to mind for me is because of the impact they had on the game. You know, you think about the Bill Walsh offense, the West Coast offense, and how it dominated for a, a number of years before teams started realizing like, 
you know, and we used to joke with, with, with Jim Zorn about this, uh, former, you know, head coach for the Washington Redskins, coach for a long time, played for a long time, now a head coach in the XFL, but we used to go back and watch some of the old film and be like, what kind of zone coverage is that coach? You guys are just covering grass. No, you're not actually covering someone out there. Uh, and we're like, no wonder the West Coast offense just absolutely obliterated the defenses back then. Well, what happened? Teams started playing more press man-to-man coverage. And what did that do? Well, it messed up the timing of the route, messed up the timing for the quarterback, and became harder to complete football. So, um, but you look at that, it was like the Bill Walsh offense was really what kind of led it to that point. You know, Bill Belichick and his defenses and just, you know, I think over the course of his reign in New England stands out in that way. Another guy that stands out, Jimmy Johnson. And you guys may say I'm crazy, but think about the fact that when we look at the draft, which is coming up here in April, we look at the point system. Like, everyone kind of goes, Somewhat loosely based off this, and I know it's evolved since then, but before he kind of came up with kind of the draft grade and associating, you know, some sort of value per, you know, each one of those picks throughout the course of the draft, you know, you're calling up guys that try to make trades and everyone's on a different page, you know, so that's had a huge impact, I think, on just looking at the draft and how much movement there is within the draft. And then when you listen to how many coaches go down and visit with Jimmy Johnson and, and pick his brain about certain things, um, you know, he's a guy who was successful, won a couple of Super Bowls and granted a shorter span of time. Uh, but you look at his impact and, and how it's even impacted how we look at the draft uh, is a guy that comes to mind and obviously you know is going to be a part of the the Pro Football Hall of Fame now moving forward. Uh, but but I understand you can make an argument for a lot of guys if you're going to start you know basing off just win percentage and championships. Yeah, and Johnson's- Jimmy Johnson also made. As just say real quick, he, he made the huge Herschel Walker trade. And, you know, you're a first-time NFL head coach. That's one of those things that is either going to blow up in your face and you're going to be out of the NFL in two years or all of a sudden you're building on your legacy. He says, you know what, I'm going to get rid of our most talented player because I can get all these draft picks. I value draft picks. And as Brady said, he kind of created that system for the value of draft picks. He brought in all those draft picks. He built the Cowboys of the 90s and won multiple Super Bowls. So I think that goes a long way. Uh, you know, as far as historically speaking, what a coach can do. And Jimmy Johnson definitely is in the conversation, even though he didn't win as many games as those other coaches that we've been talking about. Yeah. And, and by the way, Jimmy Johnson, he actually was pretty good in Miami. And if he never should have been fired in Dallas, like I was just going to say, if, if, if him and Jerry Jones had gotten along, like who knows how much more success they would have had there during their time there in Dallas. It's kind of interesting to look back on that and think like, what was the squabble? The fact that they just couldn't get over who deserves more credit for the wins and for the Super Bowls. Uh, it sounds like a pretty good problem to have. I'm surprised they could have never figured that out. I mean, he's getting the Pro Football Hall of Fame before he's in the Ring of Fame in, in Dallas's stadium. Think about it's that insane. for a second. It's insane. Get over it, Jerry. You wonder why like you can't move past it and win a Super Bowl? You're too busy holding grudges for the nineties. Like wait, like what do you what do you Steve Buscemi from Billy Madison with like a list of guys you don't like <laughs> on your wall, like putting on lipstick and like walking around with a gun. Get over it, Jerry. Move Glad on. I called that guy. <laughs> hey, very nice, Glenn. All right, let's take a break, and when we come back, we may look at whether a relationship like a Matt Lafleur and an Aaron Rodgers can continue to prosper in Green Bay despite a tough ending to the season. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads ensure you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drives you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. Whether you're tailgating out in the dirt lot, 
Carter Finley. Shout out, Carter Finley. Or whether you're whitewater rafting, taking the entire family on an adventurous trip. Maybe you're out camping at Mount Rogers. I used to go as a kid. I wish my parents had a Hyundai Santa Fe. The Hyundai Santa Fe is perfect for your family outing. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, welcome back. This is the Pick 6 Podcast. I want to point out that I was on with my pal Bill Barnwell on his uh, on his podcast. You can go check that out. If you, if you can't get enough of me, listen to this pod. You just need more me. By all means, check it out. But he asked an interesting question, and it was, where do the Packers go from here? And I didn't have an answer for him, Brady, because they went 13 and three. Their quarterback is a year older. I, I, I don't, I, I mean, I guess you can go get some defensive linemen to stop the run or you can get some more weapons. It, it just feels like it's going to be really hard for this team and for Breach's doppelganger to, uh, Matt LaFleur. Do you think they look like Brady, by the way? Uh, I'm sorry, Breach. Not really. I, I don't know if that's like a, a, a bad or good thing either way. I just, I don't see the resemblance quite as much. I hope that's okay with you. It's fine <laughs> with me. That's, I, I don't want to be harassed at Super Bowl week. People asking me for autographs because they think I'm the coach of the Packers. That's the last thing we need. I don't need any distractions. I am zoned in just like the 49ers and the Chiefs. Okay. Um, okay. Um, it, look, it, it's a valid question because what I, what I was looking at in preparation for watching this past game, looking at the first match between these two teams, I was thinking to myself, okay, what, what adjustments are the Packers going to make? Is Matt LaFleur going to make, uh, offensively up against that pass rush and then really defensively? And when you watch the NFC Championship game, it's, they almost get off to an identical start. There's a few differences, but for the most part, it was like, all right, Mike Pettin is still running out the same exact uh, scheme that he was back then. Uh, the first Mostert touchdown was versus one four six personnel. All right, that's one D lineman, four linebackers, six defensive backs, right? So that's a, a form of dime. But what that really means is you've got a bunch of light bodies on the field that the San Francisco 49ers on third and eight felt pretty comfortable with still running the football and being able to not only pick up a first down, but block everyone up and pick up, you know, get a touchdown. Um, and so that's like more of a schematic issue. That's like a philosophical issue. And it's something that, to be quite honest, plagued the Packers all year in the rush defense. If you go back and watch the way they neutralized Preston Smith and Zadarius Smith, and I kind of mentioned this a little bit earlier, it was the way they went about kind of attacking those edges and being able to kick them out and then create essentially a lane for the running back in a lot of their gap schemes right off tackle. And they had they had a lot of hay with that. And it was something that was there in the first game. You didn't see the adjustment in the second game. So I don't know if that means that they needed to have, you know, some sort of come to Jesus moment or talk with Mike Pett and say, look, dude, like when when certain personnel groups are out there, depending on the situation, like we still need to be able to stop the run. We can't be that light on the edges. 
um, you know, that particular touchdown, the very first play, they had Zadarius Smith playing over the, the center guard instead of, you know, being out on the edge. Not necessarily know that it would have made a difference either way, but still, it's just one of the many issues that I think looking at them defensively, even though they've made strides, I don't even know if it's just a personnel thing. I think it's also a schematic thing within Mike Pettin's defense that teams were able to take advantage of by running on smaller personnel groups. And then offensively, they just, you know, Aaron Rodgers needs more help. He needs more playmakers on the outside. I don't know if it's that simple, but, you know, I think they would, it'd behoove them to look at free agency as well as look at the draft, try to get maybe one of each to come in and give him some, media, uh, some immediate help. And because they've got the balance now with the rushing attack, it just comes down to being able to find someone else who can, se- who can separate and get open like Devontae Adams. Yeah, that's going to help, but I don't know. Like, I think maybe on offense, Aaron Rodgers is the issue. It's a small issue, but, you know, it, he's a quarterback that peaked probably in 2015. It feels like he's been steadily declining since then. I mean, he's still easily one of the top 15 best quarterbacks in the NFL, but he's not a top five quarterback. And it feels like he's one of the reasons this offense tends to struggle. And yet receivers not getting separation is a huge issue, but Aaron Rodgers is back there, the offensive line. If they give him protection, he'll be back there holding the ball. He'll take a sack. He'll just do – the decision-making hasn't been as good as we've seen out of Aaron Rodgers in the past. So if you go and you add more receivers, do we know for a fact that Aaron Rodgers is still going to make the throws, or is he going to be the guy who's holding onto the ball because he's afraid to take a chance? His interceptions are down because it feels like he doesn't like to make those risky throws. Uh, so I, I think the Aaron Rodgers situation is going to be an interesting one to watch because, you know, if he has the same season next year, if you beef up offensive linemen, you beef up uh, your receiving depth, and all of a sudden Aaron Rodgers has the same year next year they had this year, uh, you know, I think you top out. You're not going back to the Super Bowl with this team as it's currently constructed. But look at the numbers we're looking at right now. And I know our listeners can't see it, but when you go back through the eight losses, I mean, look what his defenses are giving up. And if you just, you know, compare it to the Super Bowl and the run they had, you know, winning in 2011, you know, their defense wasn't great that year, but they went on a run, uh, really as essentially kind of a wild card team going into the playoffs in order to win it. But their defense had improved mightily. And if you go back through just his record in NFC championship, you know, games, he's one and three. Well, the one he won in Chicago, he really didn't play that well. He didn't even throw a touchdown pass. I had two picks in that game. He rushed for a touchdown, but it was largely a defensive-led, you know, game. I, like, I just think right now, he's not the issue. And I think one of the things he does better than anyone else, probably him and Tom Brady are, they take calculated risks. Meaning, they're not gonna put the ball in harm's way when they're up in games. You know, when they're down, that's where you see him take some chances and take some risks, like we did see in the NFC Championship game. Because you have to. I think he's a smart player. I think he's a wise player. I think he's the furthest thing from their issues in Green Bay. I think, if anything, again, it comes down to them giving him more help. And you talked about the offensive line. Balag is going to be a free agent. They need to sign him back. And they got to figure out a way of replacing Billy Turner. You know, he's, he's a, he's a pretty weak spot for me within that, the interior of their, their offensive line. And I think they got to figure out a way of helping to protect him because Mahomes does the same thing with the football, you know, holding on to it at times when you're going, Dude, you've got a guy open in the flat. You've got a guy open on a swing or somewhere shallow looking for that knockout punch. The difference is this group of wide receivers for the Packers can't separate the same way Tyreek Hill can or Sammy Watkins or even Travis Kelsey at the, at the tight end spot. Well, and, and that, and there's something too, maybe like I don't want to bag on the floor here. And I, is it, as a former quarterback, when you look at this, Brady, is it possible that 
it's going to take Aaron Rodgers more than a full season to really acclimate to this offense? Or is this offense even what they need to go over the top in terms of scoring? Cause it did feel at times like they were very conservative. And if they got, if you got down, if you got up top on them, like the Chargers did and the 49ers did twice, and like, they went 13 and three. They were very good. But if you got up on top of them, they just couldn't come back. It didn't feel like they had any juice to storm back. Yeah, and I don't know the answers, you know, behind the scenes as far as, you know, how Aaron feels about the offense or where he's at with that. I mean, I think my early on observations and really looking out through the rest of the year was the passing game really didn't look that different from what they did previously with Mike McCarthy. I think the, you know, the biggest thing you saw was when they were going to run the football, there was usually a lot of window dressing, formations, motions, shifts, all of that. And I've said that before, and I, I kind of stand by that because I think that's the agreement they came to was, when they were talking about, you know, and, and we kept talking about potentially a, you know, disagreement between the two on, on what they were going to do offensively. And, and Aaron's got made a great point. Like you're not going to take away all the things he's learned and done over the course of his career and then make him do something else, you know, especially considering Matt LaFleur's track record wasn't even like it was that great as a, as a play caller. So um, there's going to be some things that you can do within this offense, like run the football, have more balance which they did, but even the yards per attempt weren't as good as it was under Mike McCarthy. I mean, I think if you look at them, they were, you know, they made more attempts to run the football, but they weren't as efficient. Uh, and so I, I think the passing game has largely been what Aaron wants it to be within this offense. You know, more of a static offense at alignment so he could see what the defense is doing and make any adjustments that he wants. If you're going to do that, that's fine, but you better have guys who can separate because otherwise you need to motion them. You need to put them in, in bunches and stacks and different formations so you can help free those guys up because you're going to changing the leverage that the defense can play with and you're obviously creating more of a cushion as well because you can't really play press man-to-man coverage in a stack or a bunch alignment. Hmm. I hadn't hmmed in a while, so I wanted to hmm. Yeah, I mean, look, how, how long do you think he has left, Breach? How long does Aaron Rodgers have left to play? I think next year is going to be a pivotal year. As I said, it's like it, you asked about Matt LaFour's offense and, and how well uh, Aaron Rodgers has adjusted to it and how well Matt LaFour's adjusted to Aaron Rodgers. And I think next year is the big year because, hey, they had to get acclimated with each other this season. They went 13-3. and three. Half the season, you know, there's the offense holding up the team. Half the de- season, it was the defense holding up the team. Uh, so it, it was kind of – do they take the next step next season or does this offense regress? Cause if it regresses, then you have to start asking those questions of, uh, Hey, is Aaron Rodgers, how much longer is he going to be our quarterback? Cause he's getting up there in age. Uh, so I, I mean, I think they've got two more years of a Super Bowl window. And, and after that, I think it's completely up in the air. And that's fair. Cause he's got after that, I think his contract ends up ending in what 2023. And so, and, and, and the cap hit would lessen as far as the, the dead money and all that too, so it could make some sense. I mean, uh, look, you gotta wonder, because of how the Packers got to Aaron Rodgers, drafting him behind Brett Favre, and then letting him sit for a few years and get into it, I just don't know that you can do that nowadays, you know, and, and maybe they can draft someone here in the next couple of years drafts to eventually, you know, be the guy to replace him, but I don't know that Aaron would, would stand for that, the way, the way Brett did with Aaron. Um, and I think, you know, it'd be tough for an organization to be able to sell that to their fan base considering what we just witnessed in the NFC Championship game. Like, they need help in other spots. And so I, I think they'd probably look at that as, you know, potentially a wasted pick if it's not going to help them right, right now in this window with a quarterback who's one of the best talents we've ever seen at the position. And not to mention, like, the Aaron Rodgers thing with Brett Favre was a little different, too, because it was Rodgers falling in the draft, and the Packers probably weren't planning on taking a quarterback in the draft. And they're like, well, we got to take Rodgers. He's good. You know, there's no reason he's sitting here like this. Like I spoke, if, like I if spoke to Andrew Brand about this. 
I spoke to Andrew Brandt about this, who was in their front office at the time. He was the only player. They only had 20 players that year that were graded in the first round of the draft. He was the only player at that point that they still had a first-round grade on. And their coaching staff had come to them, and they were like, dude, you guys can't do this. You guys can't make this move. And they were just like, look, this is what we do. We draft best available. This is the best available that we have. Eventually, you know, we may have to move on from Brett. There could be an injury, even though he was an Iron Man. So all those things kind of came into it. And eventually, you know, the Packers pulled the trigger and, and the rest is history. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, you draft for need and all of a sudden Aaron Rodgers is playing. You know, maybe Aaron Rodgers doesn't become Aaron Rodgers because he didn't learn. I mean, it's a, it's a kind of a crazy what if. Um, who's more likely to get back to the championship? Weekend breach. Your Packers, coached by your doppelganger Matt Lafleur, or your Titans from your hometown of Nashville. I would say the Titans. If, as long you know, they have a bunch of questions they have to answer this offseason. Namely, can they bring back Ryan Tannehill? Is going to be a free agent? Can they bring back Derrick Henry? They are definitely praying in Tennessee that nobody solves this collective bargaining agreement issue because if they don't have a new one, then the Titans can transition tag. Uh, and franchise tag, use both tags, keep those guys. Uh, but if they bring back those guys, I think Mike Vrabel showed that he is a fantastic coach. Uh, Arthur Smith really stepped up as offensive coordinator once Ryan Tannehill became the starter. And they play in a division that feels like it is literally up for grabs every single year. You know, you have the Texans, the Colts, Jacksonville. Uh, so it feels like it's a division the Titans can win for years to come with the nucleus, nucleus they have. Whereas you look at the Packers, uh, you know, I think 13 and three tops out. I think they're going to be worse than that next year, whether that is 11 and five, 10 and six. And then you also look at that division with the Vikings. I think the Bears will probably be better. Who knows about the Lions? Uh, but I, I think the Titans probably have the better chance out of those two teams to give me back to the championship game. I think it's the Packers. Um, I mean, A, because it starts with Aaron Rodgers, and I don't think there's any concerns about whether or not he'll be back next year. You know, there is a thought that maybe Ryan Tannehill won't. I mean, who knows what could happen this offseason with him being a free agent, other guys that are out there. I mean, Phillip Rivers, you know, maybe it makes sense, given that they're back on the East Coast in Florida, maybe Tennessee would make some sense. I, I have no idea how that's going to go, but I just think the more questions a team has, the less likely I think that it's they're going to be able to replicate what they did this past year. Now, granted, one thing they've been able to do really well is go 9-7. and seven. Uh, and so maybe that, that's their high watermark they get to next year, but I don't think that's enough to win the AFC South. And so then you're asking, like, can they continue to keep winning on the road like they did over the course of at least the first couple rounds of this year's playoffs? And, and, and that, that's pretty unlikely to happen. So uh, I actually think it's the Titans that are less likely to get back to this point just purely because all the questions that they have. And with the Packers, they don't have quite as many questions. Granted, uh, you can maybe make the case like Breach did, like their division could be tougher. But I also think there could be a lot of questions about, you know, what happens with Chicago, with Nagy, with all these changes in Trubisky. Maybe it's a year where we find out he's not going to be their guy moving forward or it doesn't work or maybe they move on from Matt Nagy. A lot of questions there. Same could be said for Matt Patricia. And in regards to the Minnesota Vikings, I think they've got a lot of things to sort out and figure out, too, in regards to what Kirk Cousins is to them long term, but also how do they get over the hump. Uh, and, and so you could make, you know, you could look at the AFC South and look at some of those same, you know, questions on various rosters. But at this point, I just feel more confident in the Packers being able to make that run to get back to an NFC championship game than the Tennessee Titans in the AFC. All right. Maybe that changes if Rivers uh, or Tom Brady end up going to Nashville. Who knows? Who knows? We'll have plenty of time to talk about that in the offseason. Let's move from Breach's hometown team to Breach's favorite real team, the Cincinnati Bengals. They are coaching the Senior Bowl. The bad news, Breach, is that they're coaching the Senior Bowl as the terrible. 
The good news is the 49ers got to Senior Bowl last year, so maybe you go mobile to Miami. Maybe, maybe our, uh, mobile, mobile to Tampa. It's America's pride land right down the pipe. Um, what do you think, Breach? You excited about the Bengals coaching? And uh, that's how they found Debo Samuel. The 49ers did. You excited about the uh, the Bengals coaching there? Uh, well, I am excited, except that the Bengals feel like it, when they go to the draft, when you see the Bengals draft, it's like they take a mock-up mash of what everyone in the world views and takes the exact guy. Nobody ever pans their picks. No one, no one gives them A plus. No one gives them a D minus. It's all, it's always C plus, B minus pick. They do the obvious thing. The obvious thing this year is going to be Joe Burrow. I'm not sure, you know, I, I would like to think they will find some diamonds in the rough as the 49ers did last year and take advantage of those late round picks. Uh, and they have done a decent job of doing that in the late round. So yes, in that sense, I am excited that they are going to be in Mobile, uh, getting to scout out all these guys. Uh, do I think they're going to pull a 49ers and be in the Super Bowl next year? Probably not, just because they're in a unique situation. Uh, they have to take a quarterback. There's no question about that. Uh, but this is definitely good for their coaching staff to be down there and, and getting to see those guys in action. Yeah, and the biggest thing, they're just trying to reassure themselves they don't miss in some of those mid-late rounds like Breach is touching on. Never say never, though. Come on, Breach. You can get maybe the back of the Brinks truck of draft picks if someone wants Joe Burrow that bad. And, and we would also don't know that maybe Cincinnati is looking at Tua Tonga-Vailoa or Justin Herbert, who's at the Senior Bowl this week, or maybe Jordan Love. But maybe they're looking at them saying to themselves, you know, this guy isn't that far off from what we think of Joe Burrow, right? There's there's all these questions that we really don't know. So uh, if that was the case and someone came up with a King's ransom of an offer, why not? Why not move back and then still be able to get the quarterback that you want uh, or is really, really close to maybe what you wanted in Joe Burrow and then be able to t- still continue to build on this roster? So uh, it could be good news for them moving forward. Uh, one way or another, they should be able to make their team better in this year's draft, whether it's drafting Joe Burrow or they're getting a, a boatload of picks to help build around whoever the quarterback would be then moving forward. You would have to assume in that case it would be Andy Dalton, even though it seems like that that ship has sailed based on how the season went. Oh, and don't forget that the Bengals in 2011 took A.J. Green early instead of taking uh, Jake Locker, Christian Ponder, Blaine Gabbard, and then circled back in the second round and took Andy Dalton and set them up for well, exactly zero playoff wins, but a lot of decent little you know, success for like 10 years. Yeah, yeah and a lot Kristen, of success I'll- for the Bengals. I'll I'll throw in real quick off of both of those points that, uh, you know, you look at, let's say they were impressed with Tua or they were impressed with Justin Herbert. Now, I absolutely do think they're going to take Joe Burrow. But as Brady said, if they go down there and they're blown away uh, by what Justin Herbert does or later in the draft process, they say, hey, you know what? We kind of like Tua. They are in a spot where they could trade down. Say the Panthers want to trade up and get Joe Burrow and they offer that King's ransom. The Bengals could do that. You take Tua, you have Andy Dalton going in the final year of his contract. You let Dalton play out his contract and have Tua start in two seasons. You know, we are start saying that a process like that would not work in Green Bay, but it would work in Cincinnati. We've seen it done before. They took Carson Palmer. He spent the first season on the bench behind John Kitna. Everyone was fine with that. That worked out okay for them. Uh, so the Bengals are in a position where if they did trade down, they could bench a quarterback for a year and, and survive. A lot of Bengals talk here. Probably too much. Um, <laughs> uh, hey, look, it used to be the Browns in this position, okay? I'm just happy it's not the, the Cleveland Browns in this spot. That's right. The Browns now, they can go win their Super Bowl this year. Now that they've got um, Stefanski. Yeah, Kevin Stefanski. Not, or as I like to call him, not Freddie Kitchens. <laughs> but, I mean, it is like the ex-girlfriend theory. Like, it's incredible. They go from, like, 
They went from like Chris Farley to George Clooney. Yeah, you keep comparing him to George Clooney. He reminds me of uh is it is it Henry Cavill? It was like the the Superman actor. Oh uh, yeah. He looks yeah. like a bearded Superman. You can't see that? I see Clooney all day. Maybe a younger Clooney, I don't know. Did you hear the interview? So Mark Sessler of NFL Media had tweeted it out that he looks like Clooney. And Andrew Siciliano, who is also a Browns fan, uh, interviewed Stefanski like one on one on NFL Network. He's like, Our Mark Sessler called you a George Clooney lookalike, your thoughts. He's like, I've never heard that before. I really have to focus on a football team. <laughs> it's just like, it's like okay. <laughs> He's like, but I appreciate it. Clooney's good looking, I guess. I mean, it's just, like, it's just, next time when Sessler meets him, he's going to be like, Mark Sessler, NFL, he's going to be like, are you the Clooney guy? And it's like, uh, you know what? Maybe I'll just wait two years until you're fired. He, he, pro- he kind of had like a Clooney line from a movie in his, uh, in his interview talking about how personality is welcome. Is power. Well, per, he goes, personality is welcome, but performance is required. Like, like that, that's a pretty dope little way to kind of start off with like, yeah, no, we have no problem with guys who've got a lot of personality, like to speak their mind, but you better be producing. Otherwise we'll ship you out of here. That's a good point. And good the, point. All right. the irony of all ahead. this is that George Clooney is a fan of the Cincinnati Bengals. <laughs> How do you even know that breach? I know all the famous fans. Trust me. Nick Lachey, George Clooney, they're, I well, got obviously right Nick Lachey. Nick Lachey is a fan of a couple things, okay? Uh, the Cincinnati Bengals as well as Miller Lite. Cause he was sponsored by that during that reality TV show he did with Jessica Simpson. That's all they drank. That's literally what I called Miller Lights pretty much up until this day from college up until this day when that show came out. You call him Lachey's? Nick Lachey's. Yeah, like throw me a Lachey. <laughs> really? That's awesome. Yeah, because it was all they ever drank in that show. Like every episode it was like, does he have a Miller Lite sponsorship? And, and so we just started calling him some Nick Lachey's. You can start calling, uh, we call, call Coors Light Brinson's. Yeah. Well, no, it'd be Tuffy's. Tuffy's. Yeah, you're right. Did you ever get a Brinson <laughs> socks hat, by the way? Did you ever get a Brinson socks hat? I, I did not get one yet. I'm, I'm hoping that when we all get together for Super Bowl, we take a group picture with them all on. Um, we're going to get one for, I need to get one. I need to get one at the office when we're there next week for my mother-in-law. I think that'd be fun to surprise her with. She's like, <laughs> Um, if people only understood the I, origin of how that came about. I know. I tried to explain it. They're like, oh, whoa, whoa. <laughs> anyway, let's get out of here. I, I, keep, I keep the Brinson sucks at prominently displayed in my office. I would just like you to know that, Will. <laughs> the, we, were, we, we were wearing the I suck hat that I got sent walking around. Why give me a Brinson sucks hat, too. Uh, anyway, great show, great podcast. We'll be talking to Pete Prisco, Bryant McFadden about some Super Bowl stuff uh, tomorrow. You asked about a speeding I'll... ticket. No, but uh, he did. Uh, Jamie Eisenberg made him drive up to Boca. Oh to no! Pick... He made him go that part of it. What's that? Well, my understanding was Pete would not drive the and and any portion of the trip because of the speeding ticket. Yeah, he got a speeding ticket in Kansas City. Doing? Can I say what he was doing? I think so. I mean, it's, it's pretty fast. Is, is, like I don't want to. Is he going ninety? To court? A, was it ninety? 89 and a 70 is pretty fast. Eh. That's I right. Mean, the, that's what you do. If you want to get pulled over, you stay under 90 in the 70. I guess that's not, doesn't, well, doesn't, I don't think it's Kansas. reckless op. I think it's not reckless op is what you're trying to avoid there. Yeah. Well, I, I thought it was above 15 you could get tagged with reckless op. Does it depend on state? 
Yeah, it might be. Or, like I texted, I Pete, I Pete, I we were texting with Pete about it. He's like, my insurance agent says it's not going to matter at all. I was like, what? Like that can't be right. I texted my <laughs> agent. He was like, he's like, your rates would double if you get if you get pulled doing eighty nine and a seventy in Kansas City, your rates will double. It's yeah, that's because Pete's old. So they're like banking on other things, and not having to worry about in the future. Yeah, they're like Pete. We haven't had you insured for seven years. <laughs> we just thought we thought hell, Pete. We thought you were dead. <laughs> God, congratulations! <laughs> You're still alive. Big win for you, man. Uh, you actually owe us the thirteen hundred bucks in back insurance. Um, yeah. So uh, Pete refused to drive. So Jamie had to drive. But Jamie like was like loitering around the office and like waiting. And finally, he texted Pete. Was like, "I'm on my way up there." Pete's like, "I can't believe you took so long." So Pete, we call Pete. We're trying to podcast with him. He's stuck in traffic on ninety five. Finally, gets up to Jamie's house, and they get in Jamie's minivan. And Jamie has to drive his minivan to his wife's office to do a car swap. And all this is happening with Pete. <laughs> and then they find out that they have to go meet Port, who's up in Orlando for dinner. And they have to rush up there to do it. And Pete's just, like, completely flustered and just, like, complaining. And now he's, like, riding in the car for three and a half hours with Jamie. Just, like, who knows who knows what he's doing. You need to do an emergency pod where somehow you just Skype in, like, live Skype in uh, Jamie and Pete in that car together. you got to figure out a way of doing that. <laughs> I like that idea. All right, we got. We have to actually do have to go talk to Pete. So we'll get out of here. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. Leave some five star reviews with your mailbag questions. Follow John Breach on Twitter at John Breach. Brady Quinn is Brady underscore Quinn underscore XFL. Um, just kidding. But Brady is calling. It's Brady underscore Quinn. He is he is calling XFL games. Excited to learn that. Talk to you. Oh, oh my God. We'll talk to you in person next week, Brady. Can't wait. Okay. Picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.